Hi, and welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. On today's show, we're going to focus on Bay Area excellence. We've got the third baseman from the Oakland A's, Matt Chapman, to talk about some of his defensive adventures, challenging plays in foul territory, and some hard-hit line drives that Matt experienced from up close. And we've got the Giants' first base, outfield, and base running coach, Anton Richardson. Anton studied engineering science at Vanderbilt. We talked about how one dissects the field as a defender and a base runner. So let's get going. Matt Chapman is the third baseman extraordinaire for the Oakland Athletics. He and Nolan Arenado are the gold standards defensively at the position. Matt, thanks for joining us. First question we ask every player, what's the first time you remember making a great defensive play? It must have been, was it when I was in Little League? Yep. The first thing that came to mind was when we were in the championship game in Little League and I was pitching and I made all three outs of the last inning and dove and caught a ground ball to the shortstop as a pitcher caught the ground ball at the sec that was going to the second baseman and then I also made another play in the inning before where I ran and caught a pop of in foul territory so I think uh defense is I've always had a knack for that and I, I you know I take pride in it but I, I have a lot of fun doing it I think it's like one of the most fun things to do certainly and one of my colleagues wanted me to follow up on that with this that we can go on YouTube and we can see any great play that you've made that we want but is there a play maybe from the minor leagues you rated very well defensively in the minor leagues, kind of foreshadowing everything that came that you're still proud of today. Definitely. There's a play that I made in the minor leagues that sticks out to me because I was in 2014. I had just gotten drafted and the first your first half season is kind of uh, kind of an inexperience. You're figuring out what pro baseball is like, you know, you're you're on you're away from home for real for the first time, kind of, you know, and learn how to play pro baseball, play with wood bats, learning how that it's not always about winning. So I got called up to double A for the playoffs at the end of the season. And it was kind of like a breath of fresh air for me. It was like, you know, they're in the playoffs, they're trying to win. And I was young and just trying to help guys out. And I remember making a catch. I was playing, uh, I was playing shortstop, I think, or third base in the shift. I can't remember. And Joey Gallo hit a fly ball pop up in foul territory and I ran all the way from shortstop, slid and caught it in foul territory. And I, I, it was cool because it was in the playoffs. And I think a lot of the older guys didn't really know what to expect out of me and kind of were like, you know, who's this young kid that they just called up to double A. And, you know, I may, I was making plays like that and, you know, helping that team win. So that was a lot of fun. Who was someone that influenced the way that you played defense early on in your life? What's funny is obviously my dad, when I was in Little League, I was only pitching and catching primarily. And he was like, you know what? You need to learn how to play shortstop. You need to start playing shortstop. And it was pretty natural for me. I always had good hands, but I never played infield too much. I kind of just bounced around. I was catching a lot because I think back when in Little League, when guys were pitching hard, you needed somebody that could catch that could catch the ball. So I was catching a lot, but my dad helped me. And then uh, oddly enough, Eric Martins, our hitting coach for the A's right now, he was a coach of mine when I was uh, growing up in high school. and. So me and him go way back. I've known him since I was probably like 13, 12 or 13. And he did, he used to, I used to go to him for infield lessons and do like footwork and handwork and stuff like that. So he helped me out a lot. And obviously my high school and college coaches. So I've been lucky to have a lot of good guys along the way to help me out and played with a lot of really good players growing up. There's a lot of players from my area in the big leagues that, you know, are still playing now that I played with. So 
being around good competition like that, you know, they always push me to get better. And I just picked up little things from other guys. And that goes beyond Nolan, certainly too. Right? Absolutely. He's obviously somebody that I learned a lot from just watching. And, you know, I tried to just do what he did. You know, he was kind of in his own zone. He was 18, you know, a lot older. And I was just watching him from far, taking grounders with him. And I was just trying to copy everything he did. All right, let's flash forward to to the current time. How has the hip injury that you had last year changed what you do and how you play and how have you had to adjust to that? It's definitely been a little bit of an adjustment. You know, I feel like I've been getting stronger as the season's been going on and everybody I've talked to kind of says that, you know, after you get this hip surgery, your first year back's always kind of a, a little bit of a grind where you're still kind of learning how to, you know, use your body the right way again and the off season, you spent majority of it in the rehab, not really training the way you want to. So this year has been definitely a little bit different for me. I've had to kind of manage some of my workload so I can stay fresh during the game. And I know that this year is going to be kind of like a one-time thing because I, I got a good feeling after this year, I'm going to be, you know, fresh and ready to go for the up and coming years. But, you know, my hip, oddly enough, it, it feels better than it did in 2020. In 2020, I was trying to play defense and I really just felt like I didn't have any drive off that leg. It was really weak and it was hurting me for sure. And I'm, I'm sure the numbers probably reflect that. But this year, I feel like I'm back to myself. You know, I, I think the consistency will come back, especially like getting into my ready position and doing things like that. Some days feel good. Some days it never hurts me. It's just sometimes it gets a little tired, whatever it is. But I feel like I've done a good job of managing that and been able to you know, on days where I might not get as low, be able to get ready a little earlier and still know what pitches come and try to read. So there's other ways I can adapt. But I think the one thing that it's really helped me with is my throws. Last year, it was I couldn't sync up my leg to my to my arm when I wanted to make throws. And this year, I feel like I have my feet underneath me and I'm able to make some of those on the run plays while, you know, still making accurate, strong throws. It feels like it's reflected in our in our stats, as a matter of fact. Now, the, all that said, I watched essentially your highlight reel for this year. I found a tarp catch on Luis Arise. I found a mound catch on David Dahl. And I found a wall catch on Adam Eaton, a game ender against the Angels. Uh, those are all kind of, I would describe them as somewhat fearless plays and somewhat potentially dangerous plays for you. What goes into making those? Definitely the heat of the moment, for sure. You know, that Adam Eaton play. They got a chance to tie that baseball game right there. It's the game's on the line. And, you know, that's a team that's, you know, anytime you can get a game up on a team that's right there next to you, uh, it's a big opportunity. So I was definitely in the moment. I saw that ball go up and I just, I just wanted, I wanted it. And I was, you know, I saw the wall coming, but I, I usually have a pretty good feel of where it's at. I did slam into it a little bit, but, you know, thanks to Dr. Philip Pond, I, he he's reassured me that my hip is good to go. So I definitely am putting it putting it to the test on some of those plays, but it feels really good. And, you know, I feel like I, I got my speed back and I know that it's just going to continue to come back. So I'm definitely appreciative to be able to make those plays for the team. How do you navigate foul territory in Oakland? <laughs> if you, you can also go back and check the tape. I have fallen on that mound a couple times. Once I dove over it and the other time I just completely forgot it was there and I smoked my toe like right on the front of the mound and uh, luckily, I still caught the ball, but I'm just face plant. So uh, after a couple of those, you learn uh, that you might want to be a little bit more aware. So the fact that they added the bullpen right there where I caught that ball has made foul territory a little smaller, which might be shocking to some people to think that it used to be a little even a little bigger. But it's always fun. I think uh, me and Oli are really, really good at going and getting some of those fly balls. So it's always fun for us to you know, go out there and try and chase them down. So for me, I've always liked catching fly balls, which is weird for an infielder, but I've always seen the fly balls go up and I want to go grab them. 
I should note that we're primarily a defensive appreciation podcast, which is why I wouldn't have mentioned you falling on your face. So the opposite of that. Uh, I've seen three catches this year, a rocket by Sal Perez, where you made a leaping catch, two rockets hit at you that looked like kind of self-preservation, Freddie Galvis and Jared Walsh. Uh, is there something more to those plays than kind of meets the eye? Well, the Salvador Perez one was tough because it he hooked that ball. I mean, he hits the ball hard. That's a that's a strong man for sure. And he he got around that ball a little bit. He caught it out in front and it, I jumped. And as I start jumping, it that ball started hooking and I, I timed the jump up well enough to where I could make an adjustment in the air. Sometimes I've jumped too early or late. Well, I, in fact, I think you can see it because your glove kind of goes back and to the side a little bit when you do it. For sure. And the, those other plays, some of those rockets, like you mentioned, uh, Galvis and... And Chad Walsh. Walsh. And yep. uh, I think Jose Ramirez just hit one at me too. The, the last series we played the Indians. And some of those balls, you know, you lose sight of them when they're hit that hard, the last few feet. So you kind of have to put your glove where you think it's going to go. And sometimes I'm just prepared and I'm like, just prepared for that ball to hit me or whatever it is. So luckily I have had to body a few balls up and make the play and still finish the play. But when you, when you get a good read on it, hopefully, you know, it goes into your glove and I've been lucky enough to, you know, have my glove in the right spot for a lot of those. It's never fun wearing the ball off your chest or off your hands, whatever it is, but you know, you, being able to have quick feet and a good arm allows you to still rebound and save some of those plays. On the cover of the Fielding Bible from a couple of years ago, we have a picture of you where you were in your stance, which you talked about before, and you get very, very wide. You've talked to me before about stepping into your circle. Can you explain that and, and what goes into that? Definitely. Stepping in my circle is something that I learned in college, and it's something that I don't have to think about too much now. It's become routine for me to where in baseball, there's a lot of pitches thrown, so it's hard to stay locked in every single second of every pitch of every game to where on defense, you know, I'm locked in every pitch, but when the after the catcher pitch catches the ball or it's a striker ball, whatever it is, you know, I like to walk around a little bit and kind of like hit the reset button and I try to take it pitch to pitch. So once the pitcher gets a sign and gets ready to deliver again, you know, I like to take a, I have my feet together and I go one, two and get into my position and and in college, they used to draw an actual circle and you'd step into it and get ready. Obviously, at now, you know, it's routine for me. So for me, it's just, you know, one, two, step into them and get into my ready position. And, you know, sometimes even on defense, there's days where, you know, I don't feel maybe as great as I do on another day or, you know, whatever it is. You know, we play so many games some days, you know, your mind isn't exactly where it needs to be. Whatever the case is, you know, that's something that I always go back to and has allowed me to have success where, you know, maybe I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I missed a pitch and I'm like, okay, make sure you step in your circle, get ready. And it's a good reminder for me. It's like if somebody steps out of the box, takes a deep breath, kind of resets and gets back in there, ready to go. What else goes into your pre-pitch prep? I, I do mess with my glove a little bit. I, I might have a little bit of a, <laughs> a OCD <laughs> with my glove, but I, I like, I like to have my glove kind of like feel the same way on my hand each pitch. So I kind of like move it around a little. And then as I step in, boom, and then everything's kind of set. So Definitely a little particular, but that sounds like a hitter at the plate with the adjusting the batting gloves, like a Nomar or David Wright or someone like right. that. Maybe um, I should be able to have it like that at the plate. I've mentioned that you and Nolan are the gold standard. Manny Machado is pretty good too. If you look at the defensive run save leaderboard, a lot of young up and comers out there: Joshua Fuentes, Ryan McMahon, Cabrian Hayes, Santiago Espinal. Do you keep up with how other third basemen are doing? Do you watch or pick up anything from other third basemen? 
You know, when we play, I don't, I don't dig into the numbers too much because I know that it's very easy to get caught up into them. I definitely am aware. I've seen uh, some of the defensive runs saved and outs above average stats. I'm not sure. I know everywhere has kind of like a different algorithm or whatever that it goes into it. Does anyone visually impress you? Visually impress me? Yes. So I know Josh Fuentes, uh, he's having a good year. I know it seems like all the fresh, the young legs, the young legs are what's getting the job done. But Josh, Josh Fuentes, you know, he's cousins of Nolan Arenado. That's some good genes right there. You know, I know they work out a lot in the offseason. So I, I definitely, you know, can guarantee he's probably picked his brain and picked up a few things from Nolan along the way, as I'm sure a lot of guys have from just watching video, whatever it is. But um, Ryan McMahon's a guy that I played against in the minor leagues. He's, he's always impressive. He's got a lot of tools. Gosh, thinking, I mean, there's a lot of really good third basemen, you know, somebody that, I mean, Manny Machado is always really good. The, the plays he makes in the deep outfield are always awesome and fun to watch. seems like there's a lot of good young fielders and that's something that, you know, I think is awesome because obviously hitting is always, you know, drawing people's attention and guys want to hit homers. And, you know, I'm sure a ton of little kids spend most of their times in the batting cage, but to see a lot of these young guys come up and be able to take care of the baseball, it's good. And I think that, you know, Good defense is great for the game. Last question. Uh, when you got your platinum, you've been to the gold glove ceremonies. Have you had the chance to pick the brain of those who are older than you? For sure. I mean, the night definitely happens fast and a lot of guys are, you know, with their families and whoever it may be, but it, it was cool to talk to some of the guys and had a few different groups at the table. Luckily been able to have Oli, you know, Matt Olson there twice. So spent a lot of time with him, but it's, it's always cool to talk to the guys and, you know, ask them if they do anything with their routine or they have any drills or things like that, you know, cause everybody definitely has their own style when it comes to getting into the game. And when you're, you know, you're more focused and you kind of just naturally do what your body lets you. But uh, I like to see what guys do with their routine and just like, or in the off season, like how, how often do you guys take grounders in the off season or how do, do you do anything different in the off season than you do in the season and kind of what your routine, because um, for me, you know, I've been in the league for a little while now and I'm still trying to pick up new things for my routine. And, you know, I don't have a, a routine that's set in stone defensively. I definitely have a routine I do every day or, you know, when we take batting practice, but, you know, guys are always trying to build a cage routine, build a defensive routine or just how to map out their day to what gives them the most success for a game. So I'm always trying to pick guys' brains like that. And it seems like guys learn a lot more um, as they get older and, some guys don't have their set routine, you know, until they're in their mid thirties. Right. I actually was asking about, uh, did you pick the brains of any of the presenters? I did get to talk to, you know, Johnny Bench and Brooks. I think Brooks Robinson announced Nolan Arnado's award. So it's just so cool to meet some of those guys. I'll tell you what, you should have seen the, the look on my dad's face when he got to meet all those guys. It's like all the, a lot of the guys from his era and it's like a kid in a candy store. See, what's cool though, is that 20 years from now, that's going to be someone else with you. That would be, I, if I'm in that same position right there, I'm going to be a happy man. That means uh, I continued on this path and I was just, you know, lucky enough to play baseball this long. And if I'm presenting awards, uh, I'll tell you, I'll be a happy man. Matt Chapman, thanks for joining us. Best of luck the rest of the season. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anton Richardson is the first base coach for the San Francisco Giants. He also coaches base running and outfield play, and we're glad he's able to join us today. Anton's a native of the Bahamas. In 2011, he was the first native of the Bahamas to play in the majors in 28 years. There's one Bahaman in the major leagues now, Jazz Chisholm, and we'll get to what you're most famous for as a player in a minute, but we're more interested in what you're doing now. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mark. Pleasure.
So the first thing that I wanted to ask you about is the Giants coaching staff, which to me is super interesting because you have Gabe as the leader, as the manager, vocal, the face of it all, very into analytics, very into nutrition and wellness. You have Ron Wotus, the professor at third base. He's been there forever. <laughs> then you have Andrew Bailey and his assistants. The rest of the group, Kai Correa is the bench coach. He played Division Three baseball. Donnie Ecker and Dustin Lynn coach hitting. Neither of them played in the majors. Alyssa Nackin's a pioneer as a woman in a major league uniform. You're a Vanderbilt grad with an engineering science degree who self-admits that you weren't a very good college baseball player. I'm curious, <laughs> what are the coaching meetings like? They're entertaining and diverse with a lot of different perspectives, which I think usually helps us, you know, and come into like one one collective perspective. <laughs> what's a what's a good example of that? I just think in, in when we're preparing for a game, I think, you know, everybody has a unique lens that they, they see the game through, right? And I think you just kind of hit on like everybody's different backgrounds. So I'm, I'm from the Bahamas. I grew up playing playing fast pitch softball. Talk about Alyssa's background. We talk about Donnie Erkin and Dustin Lynn. Talk about, you know, Ron Waters and his experience. Um, you talk about Kai Korea coming from like a D3 school. And and so usually it's just a matter, it's just like everybody being able to talk about like a bunt defense, right? And how they see it through the lens that they have seen the game through for all these years and just add perspective and give those thoughts to Cap. And then he, you know, he does a really good job of kind of putting it all together to formulate a plan of, of execution of how we want to do it as a group. So when something like that happens, is it like five or six people say something and then he just says, okay, here's what we do. And he takes maybe a little from each or how does it work? Yeah, I, it just all depends. I think, you know, we're very mindful of um, of sharing in the sense that, like, we share, we have something to share. I think it's a very open forum, a very inclusive, inclusive group, and we're encouraged to share. But I think at the same time, we're very respectful with that space and don't take advantage of it. And, and so we, we share when we have something to share. So sometimes it might be five people that share. Sometimes it might be one. But we all trust Cap and we trust his decision-making process. And so I, we've learned to, like, give him our opinions and allow him to make the de best decision for the group and the team. What has Alyssa's influence on the group done? So Alyssa's spent a lot of time with, with the base running and the outfield. She's helped a lot in terms of just collecting information and being able to help, help personally me like process information to be able to get it to, to players. She's also like spent some time on the field. And I think like her selfless um, behavior of just being able to do anything and support each and every one has helped each one of us to kind of like act in that same in that same manner in a lot of different ways, which I think has helped us uh, with our coaching ability and our ability to connect connect with players. So she's just really valuable because she's like a Swiss Army knife. But she has so many talents and just brings so many good things to our group. And one of the most important ones, just a very unique perspective on of the game, uh, because the lens that she looks from is is very different from the lens that any of us have seen before. I want to talk about the things that you focus on in your coaching. Uh, by our stats, the Giants have been a top eight, top 10 team in defensive runs saved all season. The outfield defense is actually a big reason why for that. By percentages, we've calculated that the Giants have the highest percentage of catching fly balls hit to the outfield in terms of, in terms of success versus failure. How would you evaluate how the team has defended in the outfield this season? Yeah, I think we have, we've done a pretty good job. Um, I think, you know, if you ask our group, we're always challenging ourselves to be a little bit better. And I think, you know, we, we're still striving to, to like work on a few things to, to be better. I think our pitching staff has done really, really well. And I think we just take pride as a group that, you know, when and whenever a ball goes up in the air, we want to do everything that we can 
um, to record that out, you know, uh, in support of like the good work that they have been doing on the mound this year. So, yeah, I think overall, I think we're we're happy with where we're at, but we're not necessarily satisfied. We think there's still room for us to grow and, and we're looking for those those small opportunities to continue to grow. Let's use Oracle Park as an example and uh, Mikey Shremsky as an example to ascertain what you do. What goes into how you position uh, your right fielder in your home ballpark? So first of all, I, I think, you know, we... We have an internal system that that a model kind of spits out like you know their recommendations, and then after that point in time, Alyssa Nakin, uh, Michael Schwartz, uh, Rohana Pacheco, who is our analyst, we kind of sit down, we we start to look into some data, we start to look at some batted balls, and start to figure out like all right, based on what the model is saying, based on what this information we have in front of us, based on some recency, based on like swing changes. We just want to take all those things in consideration. So we take as much information as possible and resources that we can to to make the best decision. And then we kind of we, then we also consider the the field, right? We consider like the dimensions of the field. We try to take into account the, the pitcher on the mound. We try to take into account like you know the wind. We try to take into account as much as we can to put our guys in, in the best position to to make a play. How does your engineering background factor into some thinking about something like that? It just probably makes the process a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So they probably ask more questions than, than anybody else what wants to happen. But I think, yeah, I think more than anything, it just kind of elongates the process. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think that's fascinating, especially when you consider the angles that you have to play in Oracle Park, in right field with triples alley and the right field wall that goes up, you know, to the sky. How do you teach playing that part of the ballpark as someone who played the outfield and tries to teach it? Yeah, I, I think our philosophy has always just been trying to keep it simple, right? And and yeah, Oracle it has some unique dimensions, and all these parks have their own like unique dimensions and and things um, that make them special. But I think we just try to focus on like when the ball goes up, we just kind of catch it, right? We want to know certain things about like the warning track and how you know how much space we have and when we're getting close to the wall. But and but more importantly, we I think the two things we think about is like how do we position strategically in any particular ballpark at any given point in time. And then the next part is like when the ball goes up, we treat it as if like uh, we're in an open space and we're just trying to catch. We're just trying to catch that thing. Okay. So how does how you position Mike differ from someone who, quite frankly, is just slower and not necessarily as adept? Someone like Alex Dickerson in the other corner. So I think when we think about the outfield, we think of it as a, as we do, we we try not to think of it as an individual an individual out there, right? So we try not to think of it as like left field, center field, right field. I think we try to think of it collectively. So when we think about positioning, we think about like, how do we collectively put ourselves in the best position to catch as many batter balls as possible? So we just consider like, who's the personnel? We consider the the, the person next to them. And we, we think about what each, each person's strengths are. And then we use that information to help put guys in positions, you know, to like, to, so that they can use their strengths as much as possible. I and mean, we really believe that like when our players are in a position to use their strengths, they're going to be the best version of themselves on the field. And so that's what our plan is every single day. And so like a good an example of this is like if we feel like a player um, has the ability to go back a little bit better than he is coming in, then we might ask that player to play one or two steps shallower, right? If we know, you know, we have two guys in, like a center field and a, and a, and a right field and and the center fielder goes really well to his left, but the right fielder doesn't go well to his right. Maybe we, we might ask that center, center fielder to shade over to the right fielder just a little bit more than he would normally do. And so it's just kind of really understanding your personnel, understanding what they do really, really well, and then 
having a finding a way to help them complement the person next to them. What does Stephen Duggar do really well? He just tracks the ball, man. He, you know, he he goes in every angle, just really in a, in a lead fashion. But I think the thing that I think the Dougie really stands out is just his jumps. He he off the bat. He has an ability to get to top speed at a re- really, really quickly. So he accelerates really, really well, which I think allows him the ability to, to catch a lot of baseballs. I'm still fascinated by the idea that process takes longer because of you and your engineering degree. Maybe I'll come back to that. But I want to shift <laughs> to, to base running. Giants, as, at the time of our conversation, 42 of 51 on steals this year. It'll be a little different by the time this airs. That's excellent. They're being taught by a guy who had 20 at-bats in his career and six steals in six attempts. So how did you get good at stealing bases? By just going, you know, just continuing to continue to learn by each stolen base attempt. And so, and then obviously, I, I mean, I can't downplay the fact that I had speed and that helped out obviously tremendously. But I think the more important thing about it was just starting to study and learn a little bit more about the art and of stealing and, and kind of using the engineering process to help calculate to make good decisions <laughs> no it's okay so that's okay so that you, you just open the door again uh, how do you use how do you use engineering the engineering process to calculate good base running decisions so to be to be honest i think what is it is a collective process right i think you know cap and kai do a really good job of you know digging into information and, and trying to and, and trying to figure out the best times that we should run right and then i think collectively we're just kind of thinking about a lot of things which i think people do in general. They think about, you know, how quick is this guy to the plate? How fast is the pop time in the catcher? And then you start to try to get into some of, you know, you're studying, then, you know, Alyssa spends time studying the pitcher and figuring out like, hey, is is he tipping uh, when he's going home? He's tipping when he's coming over and just using all this information to like get to our players and and find a competitive advantage, you know, figuring out how how to catch what what the ball does when the catcher throws it down the second base. So, you know, I think, that's kind of like the process that we we, we really want to take in take into account when some of the things that we really want to take into account when we are making a decision if this is a good opportunity or not to advance 90 feet. It's amazing how much the little details go into it. So I want to go back to a play that happened July 22nd. Got a lot of headlines in San Francisco and LA, maybe not elsewhere. Dodgers five, Giants three, bases loaded for the Giants, two outs, top of the ninth inning. Tyro Estrada hits a grounder in the 5-6 hole. The play goes to second. Jason Vossler, who was the runner on first, not a fast guy. He beats the throw by a hair. I watched it live, and my reaction was, that can't be. And then I did what any researcher does. I went to StatCast, and I noticed that on that pitch, Jason Vossler, on first base in a bases-loaded situation where there's no threat of the pitcher you know, making a pickoff throw, he widened his lead on that pitch by four feet. And that's largely why he was safe. I'm curious for your perspective on what happened there. Yeah, I think I think to your point, he he got a little bit, a little bigger lead and probably had a really good secondary in the timing of it, which allowed him to get a good break on yep. the ball and put him in a situation to be safe. You know, I have to credit um, Ron Waters a little bit on that one. Um, Ron just sees the game, sees so much more than, than I know I do, you know what I mean? And obviously from his experience. And so um, I remember communicating with him before that play and he just reminding reminding me to remind Voss, like, hey, you know, like, make sure make sure we maximize every inch that we can get in this situation so that if that, sit- if that play does come up, we just want to give ourselves the best opportunity to like, honestly, like, we try to give ourselves the best opportunity to make make uh, Taylor throw the ball to first base as opposed to go to second base. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I think 
Ron, Ron's insight, he must have known what was going to happen before it happened, um, allowed, you know, us to relay some information and just encourage for us, you know, if, if there was more room to be gained, let's try and gain it right now. So did he like, is that like a, a visual thing or is that a, a yell or, or I don't even know if you're allowed to say, is, is that what that is? You talking about from about Ron? what Ron? Yeah, what did Ron do to get your attention? Yeah, he just kind of signaled it to me. He has like okay. a hand signal that he would give to me to let me know, like, hey, you know. And it was pretty universal. He's just kind of like telling me, like, he's got more like, room. Yes, and saying like, and pointing, and and just pointing to his eyes, and I just like we have a little vibe, so I know, like, okay, yep. he's telling me, he's telling me this. You know, what I, mean? I like that. So that's that's coaching staff chemistry being really important in a situation like that. I would imagine a lot of teams that that's true. The first and bit, third base coach, but, but that's yeah, kind of a neat so. a neat thing to think about. All right. So one other thing on on base running specific to the Giants at the time that we're talking, Brandon Crawford is seven for seven in steals. He's forty second among forty five shortstops this season in terms of ninety foot time. So why is he good? His ability. To prepare and analyze, I think Crawford is like one of our best base runners, if not our best base runner. Um, you know, he has this ability to like this uncanny ability just to dissect the field and, and understand what the opposition is doing. And so, and then any 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 time that they they for whatever reason give him any any room to like take an extra ninety feet, like he does, and I think it's just because every single pitch he's prepared for that moment. He's analyzing and dissecting what's happening every single pitch and every moment of the game, and when those op- and he doesn't allow those opportunities to to go by. And so when they do present themselves, like he t- he takes the, he takes the extra ninety feet. I love the term dissecting the field. What goes into dissecting the field? I think it's it's different for everybody, right? Because it's different. It's it's unique to your skill set, and so we we just encourage our guys to like make it unique to them. Right. And I think some of the things, you know, we talk about some, some things that are, are pretty fundamental. Like, you know, we want to know where the ball is. We want to know how many outs there are. We want to get a sign from more. We want to know what the scoreboard looks like. We want to scan the defense. And then we kind of want to like run through some players in our mind. All right. And try to figure out like, Hey, what are we going to do before this play happens? And then I think a lot of the guys, like they, they take that and then they add to it. Right. What do they need to do to be successful in this situation? A guy that has a lot of speed, like, how am I gonna how am I gonna maximize my speed in this particular instance to help our team continue for this inning to go on? A guy that might be a little bit slower, like how am I gonna get, you know, very good secondary so I could gain some momentum and like a body in motion stays in motion so I could just flow and and maybe get a head start to go to the next base. So I think there are uh, you know, I wish I could go through them all, but I think there are just like it's unique to each individual and there are a lot of little different things that they they choose to do to make them great. And how did you dissect the field when you scored from second base on Derek Peter's hit in his final at bat at Yankee Stadium? Uh, I think my the dissection was just not to get thrown out at home plate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that was more adrenaline. I just like really cared about getting back to the Bahamas, and so I was like, I better score on this on this particular plate. <laughs> we got 18 minutes into the interview uh, before that came up. I had to bring up that play if we were going to talk. All right, let, so last thing here: what's the state of baseball in the Bahamas? You know, I think it's in a it's in a really good place and it's in really great hands. You mentioned earlier Jazz Chisholm. Obviously, um, he's from the Bahamas. He's the seventh Bahamian to to have a play in the major leagues, and I think um, he's just doing wonders for the sport in the Bahamas and making people excited about baseball in the Bahamas. And so, you know, it's a really thrill that he that, that it's in like he's a leader in that in that um, arena right now for us. And then 
We have a lot more other guys in minor league baseball right now playing with, with aspirations and dreams again to the big leagues. And I think that that's going to happen where we see a few more guys get to the big leagues over the next couple of years. And then the youth programs are starting to, are just growing, you know, down in the Bahamas because of, of what these young, these young men are doing in the sport of baseball. And so I'm particularly really excited about what's happening in baseball in the Bahamas and excited about what's to come in baseball in the Bahamas and just hope in some small way I can play a part in, in continuing to push push this sport and opportunity for for the country. And actually, I did have one other. I know that you're very big on the integration of baseball and STEM, the <laughs> science and technology. Um, can you just uh, articulate that for us and if you're doing anything in that regard? You know, myself and some others in the Bahamas, the young man, Kashad Lang, and the young lady, Bria DeVoe, we've um, kind of devoted some time because we were student athletes and we wanted to devote some time back in the Bahamas to create opportunities for young people through education and athletics to pursue some some goals outside of the Bahamas. And um, in that, myself and Krishad are in, engineers by trade. It was natural to kind of flow to like the STEM aspect of things, science, technology, technology, engineering, and math. And we also love baseball. Bria was a swimmer. And so we just kind of all got together and, and started to collaborate a little bit and, and found out really cool ways that we could like integrate this academic part of STEM and into like our athletic world. And so like um, they are two separate entities. So we just like do some STEM stuff and then we'll do some baseball stuff on the side. Um, but there are really cool moments when I know Krishad, like he's really into it when he gets to integrate some of that STEM stuff and, 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 and the young children, they get to like design things and start to like use programming stuff to figure out stuff with like ball flight and different things along those lines. And so there are really cool moments where we're able to integrate, integrate the two. And we're always looking for those. But yeah, I think we just we're just really excited about opportunity to like expose our young people in the Bahamas to just the things of the world. And I think that's our passion and that's what, what we've done, you know, over the past couple of years. It's just just daily just try to try to integrate this information. And uh, maybe one day one of those uh, young people will get a chance to dissect the field. Uh, with you as their coach. All right, Anton uh, Richardson, awesome. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck with the Giants this season. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate your time, man. Have a good one. Appreciated that both Matt Chapman and Anton Richardson were such good sports with us during these interviews. This wraps up the SIS Baseball Podcast for today. For Matt and Anton and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Stay safe, stay well, and thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.